Hello and welcome to the Project Management Debate Podcast. This is Philip Diab. And this is Mary Elizabeth Diab. Each week we explore a question related to project management, organizational strategy, or leadership. We'd like to remind you before we get started to visit our Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash pmdebate. And also be sure to subscribe to our podcast either on SouthCloud or on iTunes. Be sure to drop us a message if you have some comments about our debates or suggestions for an upcoming one. Speaking of the debate, let's get started. Today we're going to be discussing how current salary levels impact the recruitment process for project management practitioners. In every job interview, one question stands out as the most dreaded by every candidate. What's your current salary? This particular question often causes candidates to attempt to discern a motive in, in the asking. Are they going to offer me less because my salary is low? Will they rule me out because my salary is too high? However, knowing the question is unpopular doesn't decrease its value as a tool to determine whether a project management candidate is a good fit for the role. It should, however, make hiring organizations rethink their approach to understanding a candidate's potential. If the job seeker's expectations fall far outside of the organizations either way, then the fit is likely to be unsuccessful, right? But with such a significant pay gap that spans all industries and locales, women on average make 80% on the dollar. African Americans and Hispanics of both genders fare even worse. It is one more misleading way to continue a system of inequity. However, if a candidate's current salary is not only not in the ballpark, but not even in the neighborhood, clearly they're not a great candidate, right? You decide, as we debate, current salary is an effective indicator of candidate fitness and success potential for project management positions. We'll start with Philip arguing for the motion, followed by me arguing against it. 1998, 20 years ago, was the last time that I applied for a position and ultimately hired in a process that did not involve the internet in any way, shape, or form. Since then, the internet, which... initially played a slow part in complementing local newspaper ads, eventually dominated the recruiting industry. I can't even recall the last time I even considered posting a vacancy for a position that I needed to fill in a newspaper or a magazine. And certainly I hadn't even bothered looking at those when as a job seeker I was looking for something that I needed. So online is the name of the game. This may seem irrelevant to the topic at hand, but I believe that there's a strong correlation between the domination of the internet in the job marketplace and the total chaos that makes it almost impossible to screen and ultimately hire strong candidates who match the requirements for these vacancies. The fact that the candidate pool deals with one that is literally one that covers the entire globe means that Candidates are not limited by geography, and sadly, in those particular cases, which is really most cases, know very little to nothing about the jobs and the companies they're applying for. for. The fact that 20 years ago, individuals were applying to jobs mostly locally meant that candidates were generally familiar with the companies that they were applying for, and they had a general sense for the marketplace since they were local to these companies. Their compensation expectations and their compensation levels matched those of the local marketplace. So a candidate who lived in New York, for example, who applied for a job in Detroit, would likely not be a good fit for a variety of reasons, but among them was the fact that salary expectations were different, and as such, they either did not bother applying, and in those cases where they did apply, companies did not even consider them in the first place, 
because they expected probably relocation or something along those lines. Companies, on the other hand, which operated on a more national or international stage, had a more standardized approach to sourcing in their compensation. And as a result, they kind of reflected that in their overall salary levels and expectations when dealing with candidates. Now that we live in kind of the wild west of the job marketplace, it's nearly impossible to screen through the noise to find a good match. That goes both ways, actually, both for the candidates who are seeking new opportunities and for recruiters who are looking for good candidates. So because we live in a globalized economy, when it comes to the candidate pools, the rules of the game are totally different. Recruiters and hiring managers still find significant difficulty in sourcing strong candidates for the vacancies. However, if you think about it, the problem of finding the right fit has been even more amplified because of the sheer number of applicants. Having to judge a pool of three to five applicants is totally different when they're applying you know, through a newspaper ad as compared to judging a pool of 500 or even 5,000 applicants for that job. Is it fair that the recruiters use compensation to filter out candidates? The answer is clearly no. Is it likely that by down-selecting the candidates based on compensation, and that they will likely end up actually losing some strong candidates for the position? The answer is absolutely yes. However, is there a better way of weeding through heaps and heaps of applicants? I believe that that's probably highly unlikely. So yes, while it's not a perfect system, I think that by using compensation as one of those key indicators to determine potential fitness for the position, the hiring managers will ultimately reduce the potential time wasted in sourcing a candidate that might be a good fit, but will unlikely be a, a good match because of compensation mismatches. The second component of this debate is whether current compensation levels are an indication of potential success in the job, uh, in the new job. While I believe that there is never a guarantee that the candidate will be ultimately successful, I believe that a candidate who is currently earning a salary that is completely outside the ballpark of the available vacancy is actually a surefire way of hiring the wrong candidate. And that's why I'm for the motion. Recruiters and human resources professionals have, for many years, relied on asking candidates about their current salary or their salary history. That practice, however, is on its way out. For a variety of reasons, current salary is a particularly poor indicator of whether a candidate will fit a role and be successful. Many recruiters and human resources representatives have replaced this question with requesting information about a candidate's desired salary or their expectations. In addition to feeling less like a hardball negotiating tactic too early in the interview process, the simple changing question can help fight continuing wage inequity for minorities. California, Oregon, Delaware, and Massachusetts have all banned the dreaded question. New York City, Philadelphia, New Orleans, and Pittsburgh have also banned the question to varying degrees and for different markets. These markets have understood what is becoming clear around the United States. Past pay and current worth are not the same thing and neither necessarily predict your fit or success in the hiring organization. Organizations will need to actually assess a candidate's fitness for a job that don't relate to the highly misleading, what is your current salary, question. Many years ago, I was interviewing with a world-renowned exceptional organization for a position that was a decidedly different one than I had held in the past. When asked my salary expectations, I took my current salary and added 20%. The hiring manager smiled and said nothing. 
When I received the offer letter two weeks later, the salary indicated was the very bottom of the salary band in which the position I was being offered was housed. It was nearly 40% more than my salary at the time. I happily accepted the job, which had significantly more responsibility, expectations of 24-hour-a-day coverage, and used skills that had never been before called upon. Imagine that I had been asked the most dreaded question in job interviews, what's your current salary? Quite frankly, when I saw the offer letter, I was a bit embarrassed at how low my expressed salary expectation was. Had I been required to give my current salary at the time, how much more would I have embarrassed would I have been? I suppose at least 20% more embarrassed. I finally left that position after three exceptionally successful years with great reviews and annual performance-based bonuses. As you can see, my salary did not indicate how successful I could be in the new position. And that is where this challenge of current salary is best highlighted. Women and minorities are particularly susceptible to the misleading nature of current salary, as they are offered less and are less likely to negotiate. In addition to the wage gap statistically demonstrated, women making on average 80 cents on the male dollar and minorities doing worse than women, across the US, pay by, by location varies widely, as does cost of living. A candidate moving from a low cost of living area to a high cost of living area will look wildly underqualified based solely on salary, and the reverse is absolutely true. Screening based on salary will knock out both of these job seekers. In addition, differences in job responsibility and authority can mean that a project manager was paid far less in a previous role than would appear appropriate in a new one. A project manager at the headquarters of a state insurance company has a very different role than the project manager at a huge consulting concern. While the skills are likely to be transferable, the pay really isn't. And the misleading nature doesn't only run to those who are currently underpaid. When looking solely at salary, employers will miss the project manager who is looking for a slower pace of life. Sometimes professionals have decided that it's time to take a break or maybe even semi-retire and have defined that a new role with decreased responsibility and pay is appropriate. Their current salary is likely to show them as far too expensive. Success in a role is based on fit for the organization, skill to execute, and interest in the role, rather than the salary at which a current candidate is currently operating. In using salary as a tool for screening, either before or during an interview, organizations are ruling out candidates who might be an excellent fit, bringing unique and highly valuable skills, because they either have never negotiated a salary or have decided to put a high-pressure career on a back burner. In both these cases, the organizations have done themselves and the candidates a disservice. For these reasons, current salary is simply not a good indicator of the ability to perform successfully in a given project management position. Let's transition to the open discussion part of the debate with some questions and answers. Mary Elizabeth, as a hiring manager, how would you uh, go about evaluating whether a candidate is a good fit or not? I think that fit comes down to a variety of things. Really though, for me, looking at a candidate, I'm gonna look at their skills, their experience, their attitude, and their knowledge. Do they have the right skills and the knowledge that they need in order to perform the role? Has their experience been on par? Not necessarily doing the exact same role, but really is it, has it built up to the role that I'm looking to hire? And what does their attitude look like? Is this somebody who's kind of reluctant about joining the organization? not really excited about the industry? Or is this someone who's really interested in the job, the role, what's going on there, the industry that the company is in? Whether they know a lot about it or not, often attitude is the biggest difference between someone who's successful and someone who's a failure in a, in a role. I wanna understand, do they wanna be there? And if they're there, can they make a difference in my organization? 
And I need to recognize in my organization that I may need some skills that perhaps they didn't use on their past project that are more driven by the market. They're more valuable to the market may require me to pay a little bit more because I want those specific skills. I think that's all good. And I agree with, with all of it. What's really interesting to me, just to kind of take this a uh, different um, direction a little bit is a lot of this depends also on the type of organization that you're dealing with and the type of hiring manager that you're dealing with. In other words, if you are the type of organization who's willing to take a chance on someone who comes close to meeting the, the requirements of the job, and this is clearly kind of a step up. I'm seeing as I interact with you know professionals across the globe, there's less and less um, willingness to kind of take that approach. It seems like they, you know, a lot of hiring managers want people who is just kind of completely custom fit for the position, as opposed to giving the chance for someone to kind of grow into the position. And I think that that kind of plays a, a very active role in weeding out people who may be, you know, relatively close and who might actually be an ultimate good fit and maybe even a better fit than someone who's extremely experienced, which kind of goes against you know, the intuitive nature of the process. I actually kind of agree with you, and I actually related a story kind of related to that in my uh, opening statement. So I'll leave that to stand. But I would like to say there's also a danger when you focus on the idea that someone's going to grow into the role, that you may miss out on a great candidate who really is looking to kind of take a step back in responsibilities. Perhaps it's someone who's kind of looking to semi-retire, looking to move into a position that might pay less, but actually is also going to give them less responsibility, less of the idea that they should be on call 24 hours or travel, you know, five days a week, or really is just looking for a slower pace. And I think that you can get some really amazing candidates who are very skilled and qualified that you might weed out if you were looking at salary as the primary driver for whether this person was a fit or not. Well, and again, I think that in general, I don't see anything wrong with what you're saying. It just really depends on the volume of applications that you're receiving. And if you're treating every potential application as a number, which nine times out of 10, it seems like in today's uh, job market, you know, recruiters and uh, hiring managers seem to be forced to do that, then the scenario that you are talking about becomes much harder to do if you're relying purely on an application process that's kind of using the internet as opposed to networking and, and so forth. I totally agree, but I do think, however, that if we're treating everyone as a number, we have to accept that we're missing out and we have to look at our success rate. Why are we hiring for this position? Did we hire someone using the same process that didn't work out? If so, then perhaps we need to recognize that this process that we think makes sense is actually not bringing us the best candidates. And in fact, if we're using this process that is about salary, that is salary driven, we may be violating the laws of the state or the city that we're hiring in. Yeah, and I would add to that, uh, especially since we're on just question number one of the uh, whole discussion, <laughs> that um, there are a whole host of hiring uh, managers and maybe even recruiters who frankly may not have the qualification to actually pursue the process of hiring candidates. So there's a, there's a gap there as well uh, that, that I feel is is necessary to mention. I think you're right. Well, as a candidate, Philip, how do you evaluate whether a position is a good match for you or not? It really has to start with asking a lot of questions. And I think that any candidate who approaches a vacancy um, and feels like they're not able to ask questions 
And again, I'm talking more in terms of kind of the hiring process because clearly, when you know, all, when all you see is a vacancy, you know, it's difficult to uh, ask anybody questions because you know you're typically seeing it online. But my uh, thought here is that if you have been given the opportunity to uh, come in for an interview or have an interview online or over the phone, uh, clearly it's all about asking questions to ensure that there is a common set of expectations around the responsibilities. And sometimes I feel like the vacancy or the job post itself is very deceiving. So it might say something like, direct the the work of project teams and the reason that they use that type of language is because they opened the PMBOK guide and they looked at what a project manager's role is and it says lead and direct project teams but in reality the person who's put together that job description for that job post may have a very different notion of what lead and direct might be in their organization as compared to what you might have in your mind or what you might have seen in other organizations. So it's very important that the candidate kind of gets a flavor of what the role is by asking, you know, about, you know, what's the day-to-day -day kind of like for this type of position, especially if this position is not brand new and somebody has worked in that role. I think that it's very uh, powerful when candidates are afforded the opportunity to meet with incumbents who are either in a similar role or who are exiting that gives them the leg up to kind of, uh, you know, ask about that and understand it better. Uh, the, the other factor of, of all of this is uh, we, we spend a lot of time as candidates worrying about, am I the right fit for the organization? And, and that's natural, especially for those of us who might be kind of rushed into finding something new or we might be frustrated with our current position. And we don't ask enough, is this position and is this company the right fit for me and and that's an important aspect in in the hiring and, and evaluation process i absolutely agree i do think however you've kind of left out a couple of uh, thoughts of ways that you can actually begin looking at the company and whether it's a good fit for you long before you actually are sitting in the chair with the interviewer and that is a lot of research i think that if you are able to go out online check out the company's presence, check out their stated corporate values and understand does this organization's values, do these organizations values fit mine? Are we gonna mesh in that way? You have a much better sense for the company when you walk in the door. Is the industry known to be one way or another? And I agree with you, I think we spend an awful lot of time thinking about am I right for them and very little time thinking about are they right for me? And I think that that actually is, um, a danger that you can fall into. Um, I know that we've both seen companies that say like a small family owned business and a very hands-on industry look, goes out and looks and says, oh, let's hire this guy. He's got great experience. And his one bugaboo is he doesn't want to work for a small family owned business in that industry. And if they make that hiring decision, then it shouldn't come as a surprise if that person doesn't actually work out in the context of the organization. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And, and as you know, you talked about it, uh, I just was reminded of a situation that I've seen where a candidate just was thrilled about being afforded a position in literally one of the best companies in the world. Uh, again, arguably, because this is a subjective process. And, you know, he went in for the interview and then realized he hated the people that worked at that company and, you know, discovered that 
the type of company that this is is totally different than what 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 he wanted. And I think that starting out with the research and and there are so many tools and websites and uh, you know without mentioning any specific, I'm sure those of you who've who've you know looked for jobs are, are well aware of them. They give you significant insight on these companies, especially when you hear from former employees and 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 so forth. I think former employees can be a very powerful tool in addition to current employees to to talk to to figure out whether it's a good fit or not. They might you know tell you that there's really no uh, you know something like uh, work life balance and you and and uh, if you kind of delve deeper into that to understand what that means for them, it might be that, uh, on on, uh, on initial look, you think, oh, well, I don't want to work in that company. And then you discover that they have a very specific case in mind. It's almost kind of like that, um, uh, you know, TripAdvisor review that w- when you read it and it, it gives a poor review or a great review, that review may not be relevant to your situation. By digging deeper into the, the review, you get to know a little bit more whether that particular review resonates with you or not. Absolutely, for sure. What is using current salary level uh, levels by the hiring manager uh, to evaluate candidates a good practice or not? I actually think it's a horrible practice. And I'm very pleased to say that there are a number of states and cities in the U.S. that agree with me on this and have outlawed, actually banned asking the question, what's your current salary? You're asking for a salary history. Included in that would be the state of California, the state of Oregon, the city of New York. When you start looking at what that question does, it puts you in a position where you're wondering, as the, as the interviewee, are they trying to figure out so they can lowball me on the offer? Some of them are. Are they going to rule me out because I'm, I'm making too much now? But what really happens, and the reason I think it's such a bad fit as a question to be asked in the interview process is that minorities and women who have traditionally been in a position where they're already compensated less tend to not be taught the skills to negotiate and understand that that's an expected part of the process and are starting out then at a lower rate, you are continuing that. So even if as a woman, I go out and I do all of the review and research and understand what the market value of the skills I bring is, when I walk in the door and you ask me what my current salary is, and from that your idea is you're gonna base my hiring, not my hiring decision, but my starting salary on that, suddenly I'm left behind again and even worse. So you're compounding that problem. And interestingly, when they did did some kind of they went out and did some surveys and understood what was happening when women refused to answer the question and they're actually offered about 2% less in salary if they don't answer the question. Mm, that's interesting. I, I think that part of the challenge that you have, and I've seen this in, in many organizations across a variety of geographies, is the fact that organizations who are hiring oftentimes really don't know. If you're talking about big, large multinational corporations, they have a salary scale, it's clear. They know, for example, for a project manager grade XYZ, this is the range that we pay. And that's where you could potentially see uh, the, the type of negative scenario that you've described because you know, as a hiring manager, if you have a certain bias, no matter what that, might, that bias might be, if you have a range and you ask, one candidate with a certain profile, one question and another candidate, then, then there's, there's wiggle room. And I totally understand and don't dis- discredit that particular kind of scenario. But I've also seen the other side of this where organizations just have no clue. And oftentimes this is 
even more so when you're dealing with project management, when the organization has been introduced to project management for the very first time. And so they don't even know where to place the role of project manager in the hierarchy of things. Is it a manager? Is it something less? Is it something more? And and that's the fundamental challenge. So I totally get why, on the one hand, asking a candidate what the current salary level uh, is, probably is not legally, or some might even argue morally kind of right. But I think fundamentally what we're kind of getting at is to figure out whether the candidate that we are interviewing would be someone if they were to be offered this position, you know, a good match for this position. And then on the flip side of this, there, there are a variety of ways that you can ask it without really breaking the law or, uh, or, or offending somebody. And, you know, one approach that I've seen is with, uh, you know, employers who might say, I'm so glad I'm talking with you. The position that we're looking for has a range between, for example, 50,000 and 60,000. Is this within the acceptable range to you? And all of a sudden, that just kind of takes out the dynamic of having to ask you how much money do you currently make, which may or may not be relevant. Having said that, if you look kind of a Monday morning quarterbacking kind of scenario where you look after the fact, where, where an individual in job A was making $50,000 and they end up being hired into a job that is making $120,000 a year, I would suspect that that kind of gap is so significant that that candidate would nine times out of 10 not be qualified enough for the position. Because regardless of the kind of geography that we're dealing with, the, the level of requirement that comes with a $100,000 salary is different than a $30,000 salary. That's different than a $300,000 salary. And those kind of gaps are way too huge to just only say that they are related to gender or race and so forth. Again, I'm not trying to discount it. I'm just trying to kind of offer an additional perspective to all of I this. I guess I would only disagree in that if you're in a tiny market, as we've lived in, Baton Rouge, and you're making 50000 as a project manager, and you're being asked to move to a job in New York City where the cost of living is in fact that much greater, doubling your salary probably is not the wrong thing. Because if you don't, if you go, oh, I should only pay him 20000 more, suddenly he can't live on that in New York City or she can't live on that in New York City. So part of it is that dynamic of understanding what is this set of skills worth in my environment and does this candidate meet those skills? Beyond what they've made in the past or where they are, let me understand what are the skills worth. Yeah, and I think that the responsibilities have to be kind of taken into account here and, and certainly the the difference in geography and, and I, I know in my own career when when I moved from geographies I remember being offered a job that was at the time probably literally twice as much as my current job having to jump from uh, a relatively cheap economy into I think California or New York and when I calculated it I had to make approximately three times as much to be able to just break even with what I was making. And so th- th- there's always 
you know you have to take the, the cost of living into consideration that would be like basically me saying when i graduated college i made twenty-four thousand dollars a year so a kid who graduates college today should make 25 and that doesn't make any sense because you have to take into account the cost of living increase and, and so forth. I totally agree. I'm glad you're seeing things my way. <laughs> While we're agreeing, how should the candidate answer when he's asked about, or she's asked about their current salary levels or expectations? How honest should they be? I think it's it, it's always best to be as honest as, as possible. I can tell you in my own uh, career, um, kind of throughout, my default answer has been, you know, if this turns out to be the right type of opportunity, I'm sure we can always come to an agreement, you know, once we progress to the right stage. Uh, to me, I kind of, as a candidate, I kind of am um, taken aback with that question coming literally the first or second question in the interview. However, since I've lived also outside the U.S., I know that that may kind of play out differently in different cultures. And as you said, the, the question itself might be considered illegal in the U.S., but certainly not necessarily illegal somewhere else. So I've seen it uh, in many instances kind of coming into play. And, and there are a whole host of other type of questions that are not kosher to ask in, in the U.S., like, you know, how many children do you have or are you married? And that, that tend to kind of get asked in, in questions, not necessarily for sinister uh, uh, intents, although in some cases they, they might be, that get asked outside the U.S. But I think that... The, the best way you can kind of deal with this is to ask, well, what are your expectations, Mr. Uh, or Miss uh, or Mrs. Hiring Manager? What, you know, what is the range for this for this position? And if the answer is, well, you know, I'd really like to know what yours are, that means that the chances are the hiring manager has no clue what they need to be offering. Um, and and th th that's kind of disturbing. So you have to kind of learn how to kind of answer it and hedge your bet but ultimately if you if they're if they're forcing you to answer it then you have to decide should i should i share it and in my opinion whether you would want to share your current salary levels or your expectations i would go for sharing the expectation i wouldn't really talk about current salary levels i would basically focus more along the lines of well i believe that i'm worth xyz for these reasons i certainly agree i think that i think that it is probably um, best to answer the question um, rather, than, rather than giving a slightly coy response. But I also think that you are much better off focusing on expectations. If someone says, what is your current salary? I think you can say, well, I've looked at the job description and you've talked with me a little bit about it and your company. And I believe that the responsibilities there really aren't necessarily relevant to what my current salary is. So my expectation in this type of role would be yeah, I agree because I think that also the other component of this is that if you go into significant lengths to to justify why you should earn something, I'm not talking from a uh, capabilities perspective, but for example, saying, well, you know, I have a family and children and all that type of stuff, and that's why I should make more. Then you get into this kind of, you know, debate that's totally unnecessarily like, well, you know, it, it's much cheaper to live here and housing costs less, so you should be able to accept less. Uh, and, and those type of discussions are really not productive at all. I absolutely agree. I think they're unprofessional as well. This is not about your family situation. It's about your value in the marketplace. And if you've done your research well, hopefully you have a really clear picture of what the value for the skills you bring is. Well, let me ask you this. Does it matter if the candidate makes significantly less than what the position calls for? Is that any an indication of anything? 
Well, it might be an indication of something like perhaps the roles they've listed on their resume don't really equate with the position in a way that you would think. So maybe their, their title was project manager and this title is project manager, but the responsibilities were wildly different. However, I would caution you against thinking it really does. In my, in my statement, I actually used an example of when I was offered a position that was um, making, I, they asked me my salary expectations and I gave them a number that was 20% more than what I made, which is kind of the general you know, rule of thumb for if you're moving to a new position, basically in the same industry, the same type, what you can ask for and realistically expect to get. And when my offer letter came, it was at the bare minimum, the bottom of the band that you were talking about, the, this, this uh, grade, the pay grade, and it was 40% more than I was making. So I was a little bit embarrassed, to be honest with you, but it did not mean that I wasn't qualified for the position. It meant that I was working for a much smaller organization in a role that made use of some of my skills, but not some of my more valuable skills. And so the hiring manager happened to know me really well, knew I could do the job and said, hey, I want you to come and do this and I'm gonna pay you way more than you had asked for. And not many people are in that position because often hiring, hiring managers are put off by this idea that if they make less, they must not be qualified. But again, especially if you're looking at candidates who have some sort of historical strike against them, women, um, people of color, anybody who had disabilities, anything like that, you should be expecting that you may be, in fact, um, their salary may be less than you would think based on their skills because they've got those traditional issues that they're fighting against. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with a candidate expecting or aspiring to make 20, 30, 40, 50% more than, than what they've made. I think that there are hiring managers who are vehemently opposed to this idea. And I've seen this mm -hmm. where, you know, some companies, maybe not so much in the US, but outside, who want you to justify to them. And in some, some instances, they even ask for a salary certificate. Give me a salary certificate. And then they go and they use it and they say, okay, so you're making $10, I'm gonna give you $10. Or if you're really lucky, I'm gonna give you $11. As opposed to just really looking at the, the capabilities. From my perspective, I would have, I would say that there should be some, some alarm bells that, that go up if the candidate is making, you know, currently 50,000 and they are offered 150 or 200,000. I mean, that's, that, that kind of gap tells me, it kind of reminds me of a saying that one of my friends used to say that, you know, he used to say that you can hire a CFO for $1,000 a month or for $10,000 a month or for $100,000 a month. Uh, and the whole point is that there are companies that are large and small and and titles can be confusing. And so by using salary as, as a metric, I think it's not necessarily a bad or a flawed idea. It just doesn't have to be the only metric that you're using. I would agree. It doesn't have to be the only. And I think that if you have concerns, it's best to have a conversation rather than ruling someone out based solely on that. Mm -hmm. What about someone who makes more than what the position is offering? Why why should recruiters waste their time on them? And why are they wasting the time on the position? I think that's a fair question. Uh, I mean, I, certainly if I put my, myself in the candidate's shoes, I wouldn't want to make less than what I'm, I'm making today. There are some extenuating circumstances. Who knows? Maybe it's a job that doesn't require as much travel. or Maybe it's a situation where the amount of time in the office is different. But but in principle, I would say that uh, if I were looking for a candidate and my vacancy had a range of, let's say, thirty to $40,000 a year, 
I'm not going to go looking in the pool of candidates that make $120,000 a year because that's just, it's not a waste of time in, in the sense that I'm talking to people who are a waste of time, not, not at all. It's just, I'm going to end up interviewing a whole bunch of candidates and I'm going to down select. And there's just so much I can do to, to, to play around with this. You know, we've lived, for example, outside, outside the US for a while. And a lot of times the, the packages that are offered include schooling and housing. So if you've got kids, the companies will pay for their school. If you've got four kids and the company that you're interviewing with does not offer any schooling and you know that the, the, the current company and the candidate is offering a significant schooling allowance, that may be a significant hurdle to, to, um, to jump over to be able to kind of recruit that candidate and you may not be able to do it. So having information of this nature kind of helps really just short circuit the candidates that are not going to be viable for the position because of these uh, circumstances. So I, I would say that if the situation is that the candidate expects to make X and you are offering X minus one, that's a different type of discussion versus my current salary is, you know, 10,000 and I'm going to offer you uh, 3,000. And, and, and I think this is exactly why the question about expectations is far more powerful for the hiring manager, the HR recruiter, whomever, than the question about current salary. Because I think that your example is a, is a fine one for the market that you're in and you're talking about. But if you're in the U.S. and you live in a house that you own and your kids have gone off to college and you and your wife want nothing more than time to travel, and you want to downsize your house and frankly downsize your responsibilities at work, but you want to keep working. An organization would be foolish to rule you out because of your current salary when your expectations may in fact be X divided by two. You might be making 100,000 now and you'd be totally happy at 50,000 because it gave you every weekend free and it gave you the ability to take time off and travel. It's, I think that it is short-sighted of organizations to put too much emphasis, not saying it's not important, but too much emphasis. And if they've asked your salary expectations and the number you've listed is within their range, then I absolutely they should talk to you. Well, I think that we're kind of going into a, a bigger debate perhaps around whether uh, you know, we should hire someone who is significantly overqualified for a position because that's often... I think we've had that debate, I mean, we, we did, fact. but you know, if, you, if you look at it, someone who has 20 years experience in project management who's applying for a position of a, you know, project coordinator in a company. And, you know, in their previous job, let's say they were making, you know, 200,000 and this position is for 30,000 and they are more than happy to accept it because things are different or they want to travel or, or whatever that might be. I think that as a hiring manager, I'd be looking at that, at that resume, if it even came to me, frankly, because chances are the recruiters will have cut it long ago. And I'd be wondering why in God's name would this person be, applying here and you know talk about discrimination i'm sure that there's enough discrimination going the other way around with with ageism as as it were because now people are thinking why would this 50 or 60 year old want to work in this job that was kind of written for a 30 year old well i totally agree with you i'm going to say because i'm of the curious mindset i would totally be asking that question in an on-site <laughs> interview because i just have to know yeah um so, uh, you know, when we're talking about current salary levels, do you think that, that those are indications of whether a person 
is going to be successful in a future position. Absolutely not. In fact, I think the truth is current salary, salary expectations, salary dreams, nothing in this can tell you anything about whether someone is going to be successful in a specific position. The bottom line is that the reason we have recruiters and the reason that we have HR staff and the reason that we have hiring managers is that we want someone to look at them, the candidate, to understand their background. In each of these levels, you should be getting a deeper and deeper look at this person and an understanding of their background, their skills, their qualifications, what they bring. And through this, we should be able to get an understanding of whether they fit and with the right attitude, whether they could be a success. The bottom line is that past success does not predict future success because by definition, if I'm looking to hire someone, they're coming out of an environment in which they may have been very successful into an environment where everything has changed. The job may have changed, the responsibilities, the authority. They may have been in an organization where they had the authority to fire someone who didn't do what they want. And they're moving to one that has, where a project manager has basically no actual authority and simply has to use influence everywhere they can. So I think when you look at that, you have to look at, can they fit in our environment and will they be successful? Not were they successful in the past, only, or in fact, only using their past success as an understanding of, what have they accomplished? What can they do? And how did they do it? Well, I mean, at the risk of sounding like I'm about to concede the, uh, <laughs> the argument. We both know you are. Go I, ahead. I will say that in general, I, I agree with you. Um, however, I think that the opposite is where we need to look at this. So yes, current salary levels is not an indication by itself of whether someone is going to actually do, do the job well. But I think that a disparity in salary levels between what the individual is making versus what this position has is a um, strong indicator that this person is not going to be a good performer. In the, in the yeah, we can do, totally disagree on that one because I think it's not an indicator in pretty much any sense. But if we were to amend the emotion and split it, so we're only talking about salary in terms of sourcing candidates, not determining potential future success in the position, would your position change? I know mine wouldn't. I think that that would be probably neither here nor there because <laughs> I think that we're kind of on the opposite sides of, of this. I think that um, when it comes to the future potential, again, if there's a huge disparity, I think you know my, my comment stands, but I think it's much easier to kind of make the case in terms of salary expectations, which we both um, agree on as an indicator. But I do think if you have data that you can look at current salary levels and the range, uh, nine times out of 10, as a hiring manager, I wouldn't be hiring someone who is making significantly more or significantly less. And again, uh, and I'm thinking in, in, in broad terms, I'm not saying, you know, someone who's making, you know, four, you know, four dollars more or four dollars, but like hugely uh, divergent. And again, in part, because in, in our industry in particular, you know, when you think of project management, I have met project managers who make $15,000 a year, and I've met project managers who make half a million dollars a year. And by these kind of standards, and even in organizations, you might actually write the same job description for that same individual, or rather th that, that same type of position in a company whose you know, total value is half a million dollars versus a company whose market cap is, you know, $7 billion or, or whatever it is. It, it's just 
very difficult to kind of reconcile the two. Okay. Well, does the type of industry matter uh, when it comes to this motion? I absolutely think that it does. I think that there are industries that pay better, industries that pay worse. So I think if you're looking at someone who is, let me give you an example, consulting. Consulting is a great industry to look at. Uh, consultants are often expected to do significant travel. As a result, consultants typically get paid significantly better. And when you look at that dynamic, this would be a perfect example of someone who's on the road 100% of the time and is getting compensated, commensurate with being on the road 100% of the time, who decides, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I need to go work in industry. I need to go work somewhere where I can be at a home with my family. I have small kids. I have grown kids. I have whatever. I want to be home now and is willing absolutely to take less money because the expectation is no longer there to travel 100% of the time. I think that you look at the industries and you will find that in certain industries, project managers will get paid significantly less than in others, just like in geography. So I think it does matter when you're looking at someone who's changing industries, especially if they are someone who may have had some, some experience in this industry previously, but currently has not been working in the industry for a while, you may see that their salary is less because they're not in this high paying industry and they're coming back in. You would not expect them to take a step back from where they would have been. I can see that. So do you think that the issue is influenced more when it comes to the level of the position? For example, does it apply more when it comes to a junior project manager versus a VP or a CEO? I mean, I don't think so. There's, if you look at the marketplace overall, there's a lot of confusion and there's not a lot of standardization. If as a hiring manager, I gave you a, a bucket to kind of categorize your, your positions in, and I called one bucket executive, and another bucket manager, and another bucket entry level, and a bucket intermediate, I guarantee you if I brought four different hiring managers, none of them would agree with each other. And as a result, I think that that kind of is the nature of the, uh, the, the job market overall. So that the confusion that exists at the junior project manager level exists at the VP and beyond. I totally agree. I don't think there's a lot of difference here. I think that this, this distraction of current salary exists at all levels and it's equally as inappropriate at all levels. I think it's, it sounds like it's time to stop given that we're both in agreement on one of these uh, items. So let's shift to the closing statements, starting with Elizabeth speaking against the motion, followed by me speaking for it. The national trend in the United States is moving solidly away from asking questions about candidates' current salaries. When looking at all of the ways that such a question can be at best misleading and at worst discriminatory, it is a question best left out of the conversation. In order to determine whether a project manager is likely to be successful, hiring managers and recruiters are far better advised to explore their skill set, experience, and enthusiasm for the position and organization. By taking the time to fully understand what the candidate brings to the table, the hiring staff will understand the role desired and the value of the skills the candidate brings. Coupled with an understanding of the salary expectations, a match can be made, or not. In either case, at least the decision will be made fairly without reference to a number that does not impact at all on potential for success. As usual, I will use some anecdotal evidence in my closing statement. A few months ago, a friend of mine was seeking a new position. He called me to share a story that was quite puzzling. He told me that a recruiter called him to inform him that they were interested in him for a position of vice president of project management. He was extremely excited and interested. After a series of interviews with the hiring manager and other leaders in the company, they extended an offer. 
It was shocking when my friend discovered that the offer was actually 50% less of his current compensation levels. He told me that he had assumed that because of the title was VP, he would receive an offer that was significantly higher than he was making. After all, the position seemed like it was a step up from where he was, and certainly by title. After he received the offer, he started reflecting on the fact that he did not spend enough time asking the right questions, especially around the expectations of the person in the position. After receiving the offer, he called the recruiter and spoke again about that offer. Once he was paying more attention, he realized that the position required more of a junior project manager than really a VP. That's why I believe that using current salary levels in, in these kind of matching situations can help provide guidance both to the recruiter and the candidate, which will ultimately save time in the, both the, uh, the recruitment process and then ultimately in the hiring of the project manager or the candidate for the position. And that's why I'm for the motion. Thanks again for listening, and we encourage you to take part in the debate online by visiting our Facebook page at facebook.com slash PMDebate. Send us a message if you have an idea for a good debate topic. 